You are listening to the Purpose of Money podcast, episode 13, how to manage real estate and run a business from anywhere, an interview with Tanya Southseth. You are listening to the Purpose of Money podcast, a podcast where we talk about ways to build wealth and create more freedom in your life today. I am your host, Aquania Escarnet. Hey guys, welcome back to the Purpose of Money podcast. This month is National Home Ownership Month, and it is the month where we try to support and encourage the American dream of home ownership. But I don't just want to encourage you to become a homeowner. I want to empower you to become an entrepreneur and a real estate investor. That's why this month I'm doing a real estate investing series for the month of June. There'll be a couple of interviews. I'll even do some bonus episodes with some real estate investors who are doing it big in the industry. And they're all people who have nine to fives, except for one who was able to retire at the age of 32. This week's episode, we have Tanya Salseth, who's a mom, realtor, and real estate investor. I hope you enjoy this conversation. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Purpose of Money podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have Tanya Salseth. She spent 15 years working internationally as an educator and U.S. diplomat in Asia, Africa, Europe, and Latin America. Prior to becoming financially free through real estate, she founded Embassy Realty, a Keller Williams affiliated company serving the Washington, D.C. metro area, including D.C., Northern Virginia, and Maryland. Tanya is married with two daughters, age four and two. Tanya, welcome to the show. How are you? It's great to be here. Thanks so much, Aquania, for having me on the show. So I have to be honest, guys, we didn't just meet off the street. We both (laughs) met (laughs) because we are in the same um, orientation class when we joined the Diplomatic Corps. And we had different places we served. I served in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, Dubai, United Arab Emirates, and Ecuador for a short time. But you had your stints in a couple of other continents. Where are some of the places you worked? Sure. So before the Foreign Service, I was actually working in Mongolia, Japan, and I, I actually was in Paris for three years. So that was prior to becoming a diplomat. And then once I got into the Foreign Service, I was in uh, Cote d'Ivoire in West Africa, Rio in Brazil, uh, Caracas, Venezuela, and then Rome, Italy was my last overseas assignment prior to coming back to Washington, D.C. Awesome. Isn't that amazing? So we'll have a different episode to talk about how you can have a career living abroad. But today we're going to focus on your new venture or the one you've been doing for a couple of years now with real estate. So tell us more about your company, Embassy Realty and how you have established a more free lifestyle by getting into real estate. Yeah, absolutely. So the story starts when I joined the Foreign Service in a way, because I was a single woman with a dog, and I was recently divorced, and I basically had only a couple thousand dollars to my name. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to go overseas. And although you know we don't make millions of dollars, obviously, as government servants, you can save a lot of money initially overseas simply because you don't have housing or utility costs. A lot of things that, you know, cell phone costs, there's a gym at the embassy. So you can really save a decent amount of money, even though, I mean, at the time, I think I was making about 
dollars a year, right? So I think the first key is really you've got to save because you've got to have something to start with. So I went off to my first assignment. I was in Cote d'Ivoire. And then after two years, I mean, literally, I had saved so much of my income that when I came back um, just for training in between assignments, I was kind of like, you know, this money is not really doing anything for me in the bank. It's earning me like, you know, maybe $10 of interest a month, which is nothing. And I had saved up something like, I don't know, 80 or $90,000, which sounds crazy, but I literally saved almost everything because I just, I, I made fun with a lot of different things there instead of spending money to have fun. So I kind of created my own fund, invited friends over, did a lot of free stuff just to be able to make that nest egg, right? So when I came back, I was like, well, I got to invest this money. And the stock market I found very confusing and just a little overwhelming. And I thought, well, I should buy some real estate because eventually I'll come back to the DC area and I'll have a place to live. And at the time, Cote d'Ivoire had you know, been through kind of a tumultuous time in its history. And I thought, well, maybe I might be evacuated you know, at some post in the future. And so it'd be good to have some place to, to live. So I bought my first property um, in Arlington, Virginia, and there were tenants already there. And they said, well, we'd like to stay on. We'd even like a two-year lease. And I was like, well, this is perfect because I'm going off to another assignment in Rio and they can just, you know, live in my house. So I went off to Rio and I noticed, wow, the tenants are pretty much paying my mortgage down every month. This is kind of a good deal. I should probably get another one. I was... (laughs) on my computer at night. Yeah. Like looking for homes. And I found another condo that I thought would make a good investment. And I pretty much bought that sight unseen. Right. And I flew back to the U S to do the settlement and I had a tenant within a week. I was like, this is a no brainer. Right. I will (laughs) say, I will say that that second property gave me a little bit of heartburn because I thought, Oh my God, like two properties is so much. Like what if I can't make the mortgage? Like, this is so scary, right? And there's a lot of mindset that goes around, I think, wealth. And I mean, a lot of it depends on where you were raised and, you know, your relationship to money. And I was really nervous because I didn't really know a lot of people that had more than one house. And especially, you know, in my own sort of circles of friends and things, I mean, not a lot of people were buying, you know, real estate. So but I just forged ahead. I was writing big checks at the cell table. I was like, okay, this better work out. <laughs> yeah. So, and after that, that was around uh, 2011 was when I bought the first place. And that was, you know, right after the housing market crashed um, nationwide and, and no one really was buying a lot. And so it was kind of a scary time to be purchasing real estate. But then the more I looked at it, I was like, you know, this is a really good deal. I, I found a tenant within a week and, you know, they're basically paying my mortgage. So as long as I can save up enough and buy another house, I'm like, I can just keep doing this indefinitely, right? Of course, at some point, you're like, well, 20% down for a house is really difficult to save. Like it was, I don't want to say it was easy the first one, but you know, it gets successively harder, especially, you know, if you're working in the United States um, versus overseas and they you know a lot of us have kids or you know, there's a lot of expenses in life. So by the third one, I thought, okay. I just don't think the DC area I can afford anymore. So I started looking around um, outside the DC area and I did a lot of research on like demographics, right? Because if you're looking at an out-of-state market, what you have to look at is where are the jobs moving to, right? And jobs are moving to places where the tax environment is friendly, um, there's business-friendly laws, and you know people want to live. So that includes a lot of places in sunny areas, like the whole sort of southeastern part of the country basically from about Texas 
um, to Florida, all the way up um, towards the DC area is a really great place for investment right now, simply because a lot of jobs are moving there, right? Like lots of big cities in Texas, Atlanta, absolutely, Carolinas. Yeah. So, I mean, by the third property, I, I ended up uh, settling in San Antonio, Texas, and I purchased a house there and same thing. I had tenants within a week or two. And they were paying off my mortgage. So I thought, right, I'll just keep doing this. <laughs> okay, I like it. I like it. So I want to go back a little bit into when you were in Brazil and you bought a property that you had not seen. Sure. What what types of resources did you utilize to know that you were still making an informed decision? So I did purchase a second property in Arlington also. So when I went to look at the first home, I had looked at a lot of different communities. And I, I liked this community. It was a condo, actually. Um, versus a single family home. Mm-hmm. And I had I had toured units in that condo community before. So I knew the general layout. Um, the funny thing is, is I think about it now and I literally only looked at the pictures online and I thought, well, you know, this is a, a really good price compared to what a lot of the other condo buildings were selling for at the time. And maybe I was a little bit naive or brave and I just said, okay, well, it's going to all work out. And it did. I mean, I eventually sold that condo for a profit about it was about $50,000 more than I paid for it a couple of years later. But um, yeah, I think it takes a certain amount of discomfort, right? In the sense mm-hmm. that you have to be willing to kind of push the edges of what you're comfortable with. Because if you just do what you're comfortable with, you'll, you'll continue to do the same things that you're doing now and you'll be in the same place that you are now. Absolutely. I love that advice. And I think you're right. I have a couple of properties myself and I've taken both approaches. One house was one where we lived when Mm -hmm. we first got married and then we moved to Dubai and we got a renter and we've just been renting it ever since. Mm -hmm. And then I, again, thought the DC area where I live was too expensive. So I looked at a property in Philadelphia and that was specifically for investment, but it was a great deal. The numbers were really strong mm-hmm. and the house was super affordable. So I ended up doing that with a partner, but I think you're absolutely right. Like for that, we had to take a little risk. We knew that it was drivable distance from us, but we weren't necessarily going to be able to always check in. Right. So you have to decide what you want to be able to do as a landlord and then what you're comfortable with. And in that case, I decided to get a property manager, but I understand you have several properties and you self-manage them, right? That's correct. So after that um, third property in Texas, I bought another I bought another duplex in Texas, and then I bought several more places in the DC area since then. And I also have a place in Florida. So I think my total portfolio now is about uh, 12 doors and I'm adding another three. I'm purchasing a three unit building in Hyattsville, Maryland, uh, actually next week. So it'll go to 15, right? So I'll have 15 different units. Mm-hmm. I manage um, all of those units with the exception of the duplex uh, in San Antonio. And I actually was managing my San Antonio properties uh, from abroad. The reason I don't suggest people do that, because I, I was doing it honestly to save money. And I remember at some point, my realtor that had helped me with the very first house that I bought there, he called me and he said, hey, you know, there's, there's been a hailstorm hail here in San Antonio. You really should get your insurance company to check out your roofs. And I thought, wow. And I went and got the insurance adjuster out there. And sure enough, one of the two places, the roof was totally destroyed. Wow. I would not have known that since I was not living there, right? And so right. 
sometimes I think people, they lose sight of the forest for the trees in a way, or whatever the saying is, because mm-hmm. they're trying to save money on the property management stuff. But I mean, that roof was about a $7,000 roof. And if, if I had not known that one fact, I mean, I, there would have been leaks that would have developed in the, the following years. And I would have had to replace that roof myself. But since I had insurance, I mean, they, they, I think they cut me a check for about five grand and I paid 2000. So, I mean, that was a $5,000 savings. Um, because again, I mean, my, my realtor actually, he was like partially managing the property for me. Like he would just drive by and check on it for me every once in a while, but that was only one of them. Right. I was managing right. the other one myself, but honestly, I mean, after that, I was like, if I'm not there, like property management is key because you don't know about weather, right? Like you're not monitoring weather from wherever mm-hmm. you are. So like I had a problem in one of my Arlington homes where there was a deep freeze and the pipes went, it, they just blew. Um, and so that was not fun either. And I mean, I was there and I had told tenants about it, but at least I knew enough to check on it so I could mitigate the damage. It was a lot less worse than if I hadn't been there, right? Yeah, that's a good point. And it's always a debate with um, investors on whether or not they invest in property management or do it themselves. And I mm-hmm. think you have to look at it on a case-by-case basis. You know, if you live in the area, you're willing to do the work, maybe you self-manage. If you're in the United States and it's easier for you to communicate and keep tabs on things, then yeah, maybe you self-manage. But I definitely agree from abroad, it could be a challenge given the time difference, maybe the distance from the United States, just being informed. So I think you're right. And I think that's great advice for anyone who is debating investing or hiring a property manager. So now I kind of want to get into what you're doing now, because you wear several hats. You're a mom, you're a real estate investor, and you're also a realtor. So you are currently managing a business. Most of your clients are in the DC, Virginia, Maryland area, but you live in Florida. So how are you successfully balancing the needs of your business in one place, but living in another. <laughs> so I think, you know, you and I are used to being pretty geographically mobile, but I mean, it is a challenge, but a business, a business is a business, right? And the whole definition of a business is that you can actually step away from it and you have other people that you've hired that can manage things in your absence, right? So, and I, 100% of my real estate business is in the DC area. Like I do not do Florida at all. I am simply here because my husband has a, a temporary assignment here in Florida. We'll be moving back, you know, pretty much I think next year. Um, so this is just a temporary uh, situation. So I do run my business from Florida. I go up to the DC area once or twice a month. So I'm still there and I have a team of people that help me. And this is the thing. I think a lot of us, especially women, we try to do everything by ourselves. And it is very difficult for us sometimes to delegate out work. And that, that comes to a lot of things. It's not just business wise, right? I mean, it could be Um, running the household, exactly. Hiring a housekeeper, or even sometimes letting your husband do stuff that you're like, wow, I just don't think he's going to do it the way I want it. (laughs) I I abandoned that long time ago. As long as it gets done, (laughs) (laughs) you're smarter than me, but, um, um, but I think that the key is, I mean, you have to hire really, really excellent people and just let them do what they're good at. And you don't, and you don't like manage them in a way you help them grow you help them develop you help them achieve their goals right because your vision as a business owner always needs to be larger than what the people you the people that work for you have so they can grow into your vision and you're constantly making it bigger right yeah. so the questions you you can ask people are like you know what what do you want your life to look like 
Like, why are you doing this? Like the big, the big picture questions, right? That sometimes when we're in the day-to-day grind, like we don't ask ourselves because why are we all, why are we doing this? Why are we getting up every day to um, earn money? Right. I mean, and people have a, a, a wide range of answers, but for me, it was, I mean, even in the diplomatic service, and I loved being a diplomat. It's an amazing career. I mean, unbelievable, right? People are like, why would you leave and do real estate? And I said, well, you know, real estate gives you the opportunity and the ability to manage your own time. So you don't have to show up and be like eight to five or in our cases, eight to very late at night, right? right. Working at certain um, jobs and, and assignments. And I really wanted the flexibility in my schedule to be able to take time out to go and see something that my daughter was doing at school or, you know, call my mother in the middle of the day or work when I wanted to work. And I think that is such a luxury in this day and age. And I really thought that that was really, that was something that was really important to me that I wanted. And so I was willing to put in all the work and the sacrifice and the pain and suffering, because trust me, it's not easy to run a business. It is not easy being a landlord. And anybody who is saying that you can get rich through real estate in a year and make millions of dollars is trying to sell you something. This is hard work. It takes time. But if you are consistent and you put in the work and you put in the effort, you will get there. You will get there. The, the problem is, is that people start and it gets too hard and they give up, whether it's, they get really uncomfortable and they're like, ah, oh, it's just, I don't want to buy another property. Like that's all this money and it's all this debt. And you know, they get hung up at that step or they research too much and they're like, oh, there's so many things I could do. I'm overwhelmed. They get stuck there. Or let's say maybe they buy their first property and they have a bad experience or something goes wrong or there's a big expense, which all happens in real estate. Right. right. I mean, any landlord is going to tell you there are parts where it is really not fun. And, you know, you have to deal with difficult people. Sometimes you have to deal with really costly things that you weren't expecting. Um, there's all, there's ways to mitigate all of that, but I think you have to be really realistic that, you know, there's going to be a struggle. There's going to be tough parts in this. If I can just hang on and persist, there is a reward at the other end of this. And it's, it's something that you have to sustain over a good amount of time, right? You have to be really determined to make it. Um, and again, you can go at different speeds, right? So you could just buy one property and then not buy another one for three, four or five years until you stabilize that. There are some people that are extremely aggressive. They want to buy like, you know, 10 their first year. And it all depends on how far you can push your comfort you know, zone and how hard you're willing to work, right? And a lot of us, when we start, obviously we have full-time positions. It's not like you could do this, you know, full-time, but I mean, I spent nights, weekends, I would get up early. I mean, I would be working until like one, two in the morning sometimes. And so, um, I, you know, I, I'm not here to tell people like there's a magic wand, you just wave it and it all, it all happens. But if you keep plugging away at it and you just keep chipping away, like you will get to the point where I'm at now where I'm like, I do not need to go and, and work for the government. I can work on my own and do basically what I want, which is, which is a wonderful place to be in. Agree. That's awesome. And I think that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. I agree with you that everything's going to take work. Nothing's easy. You know, like you said, if anyone tries to sell you magic beans, it's probably (laughs) a thing. So people just, you can't be lazy when it comes to entrepreneurship. You can't be lazy and you have to have some resilience because you're right. I've, I've had to do evictions, which are not fun. Ouch. Yeah. Not fun. You know that you are literally kicking someone out of their home, but they're also costing you money every month. They're not paying. So you have to be responsible. 
mm-hmm. and make tough decisions. So yeah, I agree with you. Excellent advice. Guys, please take note of this, especially if you are thinking, oh, I want to be a real estate investor. It sounds sexy, but there's some <laughs> downsides too. <laughs> you know? Oh, I'm very not sexy parts. <laughs> right. But you'd be surprised. I go to a lot of events where when I mention I have a couple of properties and you know, I have a family who's invested in real estate. My dad was really into it as well. They get really excited and they're like, oh, I'm going to do it too. And you got to learn. You have to be able to have cash flow. Like you said, you were aggressive in saving. So you had cash available because there are some things you can't take debt on for. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need the cash to pay for the repairs and the expenses. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that advice. So I do have... A couple more questions on real estate, and then I'll sure. kind of transition into some other advice you may have for us. You seem to focus on buy and hold properties. Correct. Which means, for those out there who don't know what that means, that means she purchases properties, whether it's condos or single family homes, and then puts a tenant in it and allows them to pay the rent or pay the rent, which pays the mortgage, and she holds onto it until she can sell it at a profit. So, There are, however, other ways to invest in real estate. You can do flips. You can do real estate investment trusts. Have you ever dived into any of those? And if so, can you share some of your experiences? So one of the beauties of real estate is that it is a very uh, wide bag of things that you can do. So my investing experience and journey has really been on the active side of real estate investing, meaning that I um, find the deals. I kind of underwrite the deals, right? I basically make sure that the numbers work. I purchase the deals. I rehab or um, do repairs on the house. I I manage the whole tenant process, meaning I find the tenant, I place the tenant, um, I manage the tenant once they're in there, um, including the leases and all the rent payments and all of that. And then, you know, obviously I sell the property myself too. So I am very actively involved in each part of the real estate process. There there is a lot of other ways to invest in real estate. For example, there's a lot of passive ways. You mentioned REITs. I don't particularly do REITs because I like having control of my money and I like being able to know where that money goes. Because to be honest, um, one of the reasons I did real estate and I didn't invest in stocks is because I felt like, well, if I just send my money and I invest in corporations, I mean, I have zero control over how that company is run. I don't know who the board is. I don't know what their their vision is or their, I mean, I suppose you can research all those things, but you as a person have zero influence on any of that. Whereas real estate is very, it's very, very tied to how you want to run your business, right? So you can force appreciation, you can improve properties, you can, you know, move things around. You can make, uh, you can make a property better performing. You know, you can sell when the market's high or, you know, buy when it's low. And, you know, when you look at these things, you can do all of that. So that's why it appealed to me. There are passive investments, REITs. Um, You can invest in multifamily syndications. So like, for example, there are lots of different um, operators who, it's basically kind of like flipping a large multi-unit complex. So let's say you have an apartment complex, 100 plus units. You have very sophisticated operators that will go in, get those properties under contract, um, do all the underwriting and all the, the deal analysis for you. And then once they close in that property, they do aggressive renovations to the units, raise rents because the difference between commercial real estate, which that is, and residential, which is basically considered one to four units, right? So a four unit property, 
um, would be still considered residential, but anything five plus is commercial. On the commercial side, the value of a property is determined by the amount of rent or money it makes you on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. So residential is just, you compare it to like properties in that same area. So commercial, there's a huge um, element of, you can force value into that property. So if you can improve it, increase rents, that increases the, the sales price of the property. And so people are doing that over like a three to five year period. And you as an investor can go and invest in these types of things. A lot of those are actually for what they call accredited investors, which are people who basically make over $200,000 a year, which is not the vast majority of us, but they do have occasional opportunities for people who, who don't fit that bill. And I think very few of us know about those opportunities simply because they're talked about in wealthy circles and um, the Security and Exchange Commission um, mandates that those deals cannot be advertised to the public because they assume that the public is not particularly sophisticated about investments if they don't make over $200,000 a year. So this is actually an opportunity if you know somebody who is connected to these types of deals to invest in that kind of multifamily syndication. So I'm in a, a women's group, a women's real estate investing group where lots of the women there do this. They either sponsor deals, they um, capital raise for deals. I mean, these are like multi-million dollar properties, right? So this is also something that's on more on the passive side, where if you don't want to deal with tenants and toilets and the active part of real estate, there are those types of opportunities. They're a lot smaller, but I'd be happy to talk to any of your listeners about that offline too. Awesome. And I agree with you. Education is key, but access to the information yes, and being in those wealth circles. So I'm so glad you mentioned being in what most of us would call a mastermind group or a group of people who you can consult with, you can be accountable to, but then you can also learn about these opportunities and share them. And that's really how wealth is built for a lot of families Mm -hmm. is because they are in the right circles and they have the money very visible and present and the time when the opportunity comes up so they can take action. So that's also another reason to constantly be on top of your finances so that you can be the person who can take action when the right opportunity comes along. And I love it because I haven't talked about syndication at all on the podcast. So you really helped me touch on a topic that I was interested in. Thank you. Sure. I mean, they always say in those circles, your net worth is, is your network, really. I mean, it's the network of people that you have access to, right? Because again, a lot of these opportunities are not something that you're going to find on the internet or advertise simply because, I mean, it's not legal to do so. So you really have to establish relationships with people who um, have access to these deals, which is difficult to do when you're like, I don't know anybody who does this, right? So, um, and, and it actually, as a woman, it makes me a little bit upset because I feel like there is not equal opportunity in that sense to a lot of these types of wealth building um, avenues, simply because like you said, there's no access, right? Exactly. Real estate at this level is really a man's game. And so one of the reasons I'm in this women's group is because we believe that I mean, women make great real estate investors. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, women are very organized, methodical, detail-oriented. They're generally, they tend to be a little bit more conservative than men, so they don't lose their shirt when stuff goes you know, south. <laughs> and so, I mean, th- I think there is a huge opportunity for women to be in that space. And right now, especially in the commercial space where the, the money gets to be a little crazy in terms of how big it is, it's mostly men and it's mostly men in certain circles. And so um, at least the women that I 
associate with. We are trying to change that. And I think one of the reasons or one of the ways you do that is to talk about it and tell other women and help other women. Absolutely. So we need to empower one another, ladies, and we need to make sure that we are teaching and bringing up those around us, because I think you're absolutely right. One of the reasons I started this podcast was to help other women learn how to improve their finances, but also to create generational wealth and let them learn about these opportunities because no one else is telling them. And I think you're absolutely correct. If we come across a great opportunity and we're side by side with someone who is able and willing to do the investment with us, don't keep it to ourselves. That's part of the problem is you think that it's just for you, but you have the opportunity to lift someone up with you. You should share, you should talk about it. So what's your one piece of advice for someone who is really trying to get to the next level financially. I think mindset plays a huge role in how far you can go. So for example, when I was a, a student, right, I could barely think about having two or $3,000 in my bank account because it had just never happened, right? And now I'm at the point where I'm like, that doesn't seem like a lot of money. And I know it sounds funny, but the thing that we have to do is we have to grow our vision a lot bigger than what we think is possible. And that's really hard unless you surround yourself with people who already are doing that, right? So um, you and I have talked about a couple of women that I know who are in the multifamily syndication space dealing with tens of millions of dollars. I am sure that when they started, they never thought that they could go that far, but they grew their mindset to say, I can achieve that because we can only achieve what we think is possible. And I think the key is to really enlarge what we think is possible because it is a lot more than I think we give ourselves credit for being able to do. Oh man, that was awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. This has been a really awesome conversation. You touched on real estate, being a business owner, and I am so excited about what the future has for you. I am really glad that you are sharing this information and you're making a difference amongst the group that you're talking to and other women that you're inspiring along the way. So without further ado, can you please let our listeners know how they can connect with you if they want to follow up, maybe even have you be their real estate agent? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm happy to talk to you know anyone who's interested in sort of real estate as a wealth building vehicle, because that's really how I see it. It, it can be you know, not only the place that you live, but it can also build wealth for you, right? So the easiest way to reach me is actually just through email. And it's my name, Tanya Salseth. That's T-A-N-Y-A-S-A-L-S-E-T-H at kw, for Keller Williams, dot com. Awesome. I got it. We'll put all of that in the show notes and we'll also include some links to more information about real estate and articles that might be helpful to listeners to learn more. Thank you again for being a guest on the Purpose of Money podcast. And I hope that I have an opportunity to have you on the show again. Yeah, I would love that. Thanks so much, Aquani, for the opportunity. You're welcome. I hope you really enjoyed that episode with Tanya. She dropped a lot of gems on real estate investing, and I hope you can take some of those and get started if you're interested in becoming a real estate investor too. Stay tuned with the series because next week we have a new episode with Pam Dorsey and Nikki Day from Paragon Partner. They are two multifamily unit real estate investors who have over 300 units under their belt. I want you to hear about how you get into this very unique way of investing in real estate in an industry that is mostly dominated by men, but these women are taking over one unit at a time. 
Hope you stay tuned next week. New episode. Thank you for listening to the Purpose of Money podcast. For more resources and information, check out my website, thepurposeofmoney.com. And while you're there, please sign up for our newsletter so you'll have the latest information on new episodes and blog posts. Until next time, keep building generational wealth one dollar at a time.